source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson, James Boyman, and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, joined by Alex and Ryan for part two of our 21-22 Everton squad assessment. If you didn't catch the first half, definitely go back and check that out. We looked at basically a summary of our squad assessment from last year, took kind of the high-level takeaways from that to carry forward. We looked at the overall performance of Everton on the season. We looked in-depth at the attacking stats, including shooting, possession, and retention, as well as a goalkeeper focus and passing receiving. That took us through most of the first half. We talked about the solutions associated with it, which we'll get into in this part as well, talking about playing the better players, tactical solutions, as well as recruitment. And in this section, we want to get into some more of the in-depth areas of play. We're going to talk about progression. How well did we progress the ball? Did Everton progress? Creation. How well did we create opportunities? And uh, we also get into some of the defensive stats, talk about goalkeeping, Jordan Pickford, namely his performance. And we did in kind of the overall outlook for Everton, set pieces, winning the ball back. And again, we'll look at it all through the lens of these potential solutions. Before we get into the episode itself, please, if you enjoy the show, leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find us at USA Toffee Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, you can find all of those links to socials in the description or go to linktr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. That's linktr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. And remember to join our Discord, invite.gg slash ATP on your web browser to join. We would love to have you. It's a great community. And we are very much looking forward to meeting many of the folks at, in Baltimore when Everton come to play Arsenal in less than a month. We will also be doing an episode before then to talk about the actual itinerary and sequence of events and all of the fun stuff that's going to be going on. So looking forward to bringing that to you. But before we do that, we need to talk about the squad assessment. we got to finish this monster of an episode. So let's get right into part two without any further delay. Well, let's first recall that the possession retention area was considerably problematic and passing and receiving wasn't a lot better. So, I mean, those two areas are so important, I think, in, in terms of our ability to generate goals, which we didn't do very well. So this is just kind of continuing on to those themes. None of these areas will be quite as bad, well, at least I don't think so, um, as those two in particular. But let's be honest, we weren't very progressive either. But this is important. You know, it's one thing to create in the final third. It's another thing to progress the ball up the field. And that's what we're talking about through dribble and through passing. So let's start with the passing. We already identified that we're not very good in terms of pass accuracy in general passing. Progressive passing doesn't look all that freaking great to, either, to be perfectly honest. So look, last year we were particularly bad in it. Um, but this one looks like it just continues the same theme. Um, progressive passing distance, we were dead last per 90. Um, number of progressive passes, uh, 17th, and that's at 71.2%. So actually, the, that's 12th. That's not great either. But still, um, if you don't take that many and you're inaccurate with them, that's not a good combination. You just didn't see a lot of other things too, like through balls. I think we were 19th in the league and they define that as just completed attacking passes between the back defenders into space. Very narrow focus. But look, I mean, it's not good, you know. Um, and then in particular, last year was a real big emphasis was completed passes into the final third per 90. We barely had 22, James, Alex, 16. And the percentage, 65.4%. That's 14th. That's not good either. Passes into the penalty area per 90, 7 per 90. That's 15th. Those are bad numbers, right? I mean, that, and you know, here's another weird number too. I mean, we were only had, we barely averaged over one offsides a game, 1.26. That was 18th. So there's no vertical threat here either. I mean, this is kind of how this sport works, right? I mean, it's all a function of a lot of different things. So, okay, let's break for a second to talk about that. Did any of those numbers surprise you that, I mean, I, I didn't see us making a lot of line cutting passes, a lot of progressive passes. You know, it was mostly hoofball. It's almost like we bypassed the midfield. So th these are not surprising numbers, right? Yeah, we weren't really looking to play the ball behind defenders. We were looking to play it over the top into no man's land where the defense was oftentimes just waiting for the ball to fall to them. 
We weren't looking to lure the defense out and get them out of position and draw them in. And then all of a sudden spring the attack behind. It was often just launch it and chase it. Yeah, we constantly looked disjointed and unorganized, especially going forward. And as we talked about, we had the big gap constantly, which I think also hurt us, too, because, you know, even even if maybe you had the time and space to play it, it felt like our players were not maybe always set up in a, in a good passing lane, for example, or or maybe they're out of position in relation to it and, and they just could not get there in time. That's a great point. You know, the defense works with the offense. If you're leaving that gap, then what happens? If a ball gets played behind you, you're running backwards at it the whole time. You know, you don't even have time to anticipate the ball loss and then get yourself in possession to either support that loss and where it's happening matters too. You know, if it's not happening in the attacking third, you don't have the ability to be proactive and keep it anyway and then turn it around, recycle and progress it. So, but yeah, I mean, progression really starts in the back and goes to the front. If you're always running backwards, trying to chase the darn thing, it's never really going to happen. You're almost forced to then, you know, we just had no outlet to deal with pressure, you know, and that that's really what, what it had to do. So if you don't have time and space on the ball from the back, it's hard to be progressive. Whereas last year, you had more teams kind of sit back on us and our issue was not as much the possession. It was more, and we made a lot of bad mistakes with the ball last year, not under pressure. But last year, our issue was more breaking through the pressure when we kept the ball. So, okay, the carry numbers aren't real good either, honestly. Progressive carry distance per 90, um, 16th. Progressive carries in total, 16th. Carries into the final third, 16th. Carries into the penalty area, 17th. Those are really bad numbers. I mean, yikes. I, you know, and and you look at it and you think like a Wobi is very good at this and he barely played. You know, Gray is probably the most dangerous at creating off the dribble, but I wouldn't say necessarily he's going to he's not going to receive the ball in the back and really carry it up the field. And and if you're if you're just kind of bypassing the midfield, this is this is what's going to happen. So, look, collectively, there's some players here with some capacity here, and we're going to get to that in a second, because solution one is play the better players. But I mean, this looks bad. right? I mean, it's hard to really look at this. There's not much positive here. Some of this is tactical, but you look at some of our players, some of our players are capable of being progressive and and didn't i mean that's probably i think what i view is the most depressing thing right and so if you look at solution number one play the better players and some of our players have the ability to be progressive or have been in the past right so if you look at it like progressive passes alon was tops on the team at 4.36 that's 77th in the premier league i mean next is delph and awobi at like i think their totals were like 144 or they're they're at number 144 145 at 3.51 and 3.50 I mean, Iwobi's an attacking player. You would not expect him to have tremendous progression numbers, you know? I mean, Dele Ali's shown some ability to do in the past. Maybe maybe he could make a difference. But, like, that's not... I don't know. That's crazy. I mean, that's not good, but I think that's very much tactical. What I got a problem with, then, is is the really the stuff into the final third. I mean, that's... You know what I mean? Like, you guys know what I'm saying? Like, it's a tactical choice to kind of bypass the midfield. But what is the point if you can't complete passes into the final third? Isn't that the more important right. metric? I, I think. Right. Progressing the ball up the field. Well, we know how we were attempting to do that. That's the hoof ball. But then you get the ball in the final third. Okay. Now you need to actually penetrate the opposition's penalty area to get good shots and score goals. Even the players who were good, relatively speaking on Everton, you look at Fabian Delph, 4.46 passes into the final third per 90. That's 72nd in the Premier League. So even the guys who are good are still middle bottom of the Premier League. We don't have anyone that's even close to being good relative to the rest of the league, just good relative to the existing squad. Yeah, and it's yeah. sad because you look at some of the numbers guys put in the past and they're very impressive, but I mean, these are these are even much lower than the historical numbers that these guys have put together and and you can only blame tactics so much, right? Yeah, I mean, you look at Alan with Napoli as you were talking about earlier. He had 9.18 completed passes into the final third per 90 in a single season, which was, I think, 267 in total, which is nuts. Second in the entire league. Wow. So it's no joke that he uh, that he was obviously very capable. Other seasons, he had 5.74 and 5.35 for Napoli. So um, quite much, a, a lot higher than he's got at Everton with this last season at 4.12, right? And that probably has to do completely with the system he's playing in and obviously playing in a two and then, you know, playing a little bit deeper makes all the difference in the world i mean so that's someone that's clearly capable in the past and you know like we've said uh, would he be better off playing in kind of that eight role you know what i mean instead of ultimately um playing in like kind of a number six it takes 
it takes a lot of those things away from him clearly. Uh, and, and it's not helping us for sure in that regard. I mean, that's, that is a clear guy that is capable of, is a very good passer of the ball has been incredibly progressive in the past. And you just, you just didn't see it. You know, you just did not see it. Um, and, and just to like illustrate, I, I can't remember what match it was, Ryan. I wish I did, but very early on in the season, Alon had like a couple shots in the penalty area. And in the post-match that episode, we looked at that and we said, okay, those two were like as many as he had the entire season before. So just to illustrate how little he is actually getting up the pitch, he did some at the very early stages of the season before we kind of reverted into this very pragmatic style. So, yeah, I mean, that that's so going back, that's 267 passes to the final third successful a second in the entire league in Syria like that obviously Alon can do that we've seen him do that he's a good passer Awobi I mean Awobi had 11 passes into the final third and 10 progressive passes in a single match versus West Ham I mean starting with that match over the next 10 matches like 3.9 per 90 into the final third 4.5 progressive passes per 90 I mean consistently he was over five progressive passes at Arsenal as an attacking player so he's got that in his bag even Mina in his brief time that he played with Barca in a team that was good with possession over five progressive passes per 90. So yeah, he's never going to play one over the top or anything, but he can cut through lines. So these are clearly players that are capable of producing in this particular area. So, I mean, and a lot of them didn't play a lot, right? I mean, that we said that up front, like Alon didn't play as much as we would have liked. Wobi didn't play, nor did he play in the right position. Notice in that play when he was doing that against West Ham, what position was he playing down the middle? I mean, Duh. And I and I truly believe he was playing on the right side again, even at the end of this year, out of necessity, much like he played on the right side with Carlo, I think, because who the heck else is going to play out there when Hamas got hurt? So I, I am hopeful, hopeful. I think we can get a lot out of Alex Wobi, maybe even Deli Ali in that role in kind of like if Frank's going to play that 4-3-3, kind of that more kind of left center mid role. I mean, you tell me, am I crazy to suggest it is so obvious that the team is very different with him in that role um, than anyone else? I mean, I, I think he's, you're debat- not crazy, Ryan. I no, think he's debatable. Is he a difference maker though? Do you go into the season saying that's going to be our guy? I don't know, but, but he showed enough down the stretch to be given an opportunity to prove himself in that area. I mean, I think he's a good fit. And then you look at like completed passes into the penalty area. I mean, Townsend was our highest at 1.73. We'll be right behind 1.69. I mean, you guys realize that Awobi was sixth in the entire premier league per 90 in his last year at Arsenal at 2.88. That's completed passes into the penalty area. Like, that is crazy. And that's kind of his gift, you know? So if you can put him more in that position to kind of be that guy, um, I think you'll see more more goals scored for sure. So, okay, tactics. Like, what kind of tactics? I mean, surely we can do more to kind of get into the final third and progress the ball up the field. I mean, he showed, Frank showed aptitude. Granted, it's Chelsea, right? I mean, so, I mean... Jorginho is yeah, I mean, embarrassment <laughs> of riches to an extent right it is but he showed the ability to do a derby but certainly there are things you can do I mean to create more movement more passing sequences we talked about that a little bit in the first episode and look I mean Frank took over a difficult situation so you couldn't expect him to have that much of an impact could you right and now he's going to have basically the whole summer to work with these guys preseason all that sort of stuff. perfect opportunity to implement some of these passing sequences movement off the ball what he wants to see. Whereas when you jump in and you have to win games right off the bat, I mean, we saw what resulted from that. Situation. Well, he tried, he tried to play in a certain way right off the bat. I, that was probably a mistake. I think if he goes pragmatic right away, I don't think we, we are, you know, quite as tight as it was down the stretch. So, but look, solution three is also recruitment. So th- it's a similar situation to passing retention, right? I mean, we're looking at again, defensive mid center back, and maybe that right fullback position. Right? I mean, it, it's kind of, it's it's a different skill set, a different type of thing. Um, I would say this. I think Patterson could help at least at right back in terms of carrying the ball forward. I mean, you have that guy with that much pace, you know, and size and speed. That's going to put pressure on teams, at least some of the lesser teams that we're going to control the ball a little bit more. Um, whether he's quite Premier League level, I don't know. I think that will help. Certainly some of our center backs being more healthy, but. God, I mean, you just kind of look at that. I mean, that having a number six to control the game would be pretty massive, don't we think? And then we kind of look at some of the numbers across the Premier League, and I jotted some of these down. I mean, you've seen all these guys play. None of these are terribly surprising. Like the number one leader in, I think, what is that? 
high possession scene. Premier League leader in what is that progressive passes or maybe pass in the penalty area? Tiago with 11.7. It's got to be progressive passes. I, I, That's 11.7 per 90 into the penalty area. That seems it does. So I guess it, they scored a lot of goals. That would be preposterous. He would have been posted up at the top of the 18 the entire match. Yeah, I mean, exactly. you look at that, though. I mean, some of these numbers are, uh, you know, the guys with big numbers, though, you're seeing a lot in those kind of controlling positions. Yeah. And, and that's important, you know. So if you're looking for progression, I mean, you look, I mean, obviously, look, look at him as a player, right? I mean, that's why he was there for that team. In essence, for those teams that want to pack it in against him, he's the guy that can break that down. Now, look, it starts probably with being able to keep the ball a little bit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. I mean, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Um, but yeah, I mean, those are, those are big numbers, right? Um, yeah, of course that's, uh, I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a crazy number really. I think it's actually 10.3. I think that's wrong, but the point is that's progressive passes per 90. I mean, that's still pretty ridiculous. You know what I mean? Pardon me. No, that number is actually completed successful passes into the final third per 90, 11.7. Wow. This progressive passes are 10.3 though. I mean, that guy, but that's what that guy does, right? I mean, that's why he's in there. But look, you have some other guys like Declan Rice is a very good defensive midfielder, right? He's still getting it into the area. I mean, that's a respectable number. He's at like 6.86. Ruben Evans is 5.5, 6.56. Hoiberg's over six. I mean, so it just goes to show you, even though these are guys that are fairly defensive oriented players, right? No one's going to look at those guys and say, these are ball playing magicians. But look, they're still able to, are capable of getting the ball from the back into the final third successfully. So that's the impact that a defensive mid can have in there. By the way, did you notice who some of the other guys that I included in those numbers? Yeah, I like that you put uh, Harry Winks in here with the links to Everton coming up recently. People <laughs> losing their minds at the prospect of having Harry Winks feature. Billy Gilmore, another one. You didn't say Harry uh, Winks' number. <laughs> it's over 6. 6.04. It's a good number. I mean, I'm look, I'm not saying go get Harry Winks. Let's be very clear what I'm saying. I'm simply saying that if this is an area that you feel like is important to improve, that is an example of someone that could play a defensive mid and maybe do that. I'm not saying go get Harry Winks. But he might help in that that area or that's, someone of his Right, that's that's all profile. that says. That's all that says. Yeah, I mean Billy Gilmore, I don't know if I trust him to be a 6 on this team, but I mean the point is that those, you know, recruitment can give you someone with a little bit different profile that could help that. Now, look, the bottom line is if Alon played back that way, I think you'd probably you'd see some similar stuff, but you still lose kind of the defensive stability and you still want to win the ball. Now, I think the big question is, what would you look at in that defensive mid? So at Darby, you know, in that in that position, yeah, Tom Huddlestone or Bradley Johnson. I mean, those are older guys in their 30s, big. I mean, Tom Huddlestone looks like he could bench press 400 pounds at this point. Um Bradley Johnson is an older big guy. I, I don't think that was really. Then you looked at Chelsea and he kind of he played mostly four three three and some four two three one. And he started with it was kind of like Mount um, Kovacic and and Conte would kind of play in front of Jorginho and eventually kind of moved Conte into that role. So yeah, I don't I don't know you know what I mean that any of those are very different profile players. I don't think that tells us so much. But it's also worth mentioning either center halves can pass the ball effectively from the back. I mean Adam Webster. Brighton had over six per 90. That's pretty darn, darn impressive. So there are some center backs on higher possession teams that could help too. So I, I think that's how you look at kind of trying to solve problems like this. You know, what do you have in those roles? Can you get a player? If you're going to look at things from a recruitment standpoint, I think it'd be very interesting to see how we utilize some of our current players. Okay. Next area. I think this is an area which we all, you know, it's, it's, it's more certain. I think people know what this means a little bit more and that's just creation. So there's some context, though, involved in this, right? I mean, you can't just start spitting out like gold created actions and shot created actions. What about assists, Ryan? Assists oh, are good. You, you just. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe that, it's Alex? The best, like, why, why do it's we the best creation do stat there is? You stop. You stop. Um, <laughs> oh, just so I, I don't even know what to say at this point. But, and, we'll and, move past it. Yeah, we do. But look, okay, ignoring the wonderful predictive nature and lovely statistic that is assists that might be valuable in hockey um it is important to note how many touches you have in the penalty area like you can't sit there and say oh we didn't create enough without i mean it's all relative how often you get there and that's why retention passing progression really matters so look we had 21.7 touches in the penalty area per 90 that's not much it's 14th in the league um 140.9 touches per 90 in the final third that's 11th that's actually better than i would have thought it would have been um so they're not that bad. Now, I wouldn't expect incredible creation numbers from that. You know what I mean? Um, but they're not 
that bad. So look, when we talk about creation, what are we talking about here? We're going to talk about crosses. I think crosses are not perfect example of it. Key passes, shot created actions, um, certainly the ability to do this in different ways. I mean, you can create through the dribble. You can create via the live pass. You can create through dead, dead ball. Um, so crosses, let's start with that one. Remember all the talk about how Rafa was going to have this super cross oriented team at the beginning. And then like we had our first match, we had a ton of crosses because Townsend was firing them in like crazy. And then everyone was tweeting at me like, I told you, Ryan, what are you talking about? Because I had mentioned <laughs> that Rafa hasn't done that a whole lot in the past. Okay. Crosses per 90. We didn't even have 11 and that was 14th. And uh, we didn't have a ton when Rafa was there either. So completed crosses into the penalty area per 90, just over two, that's eighth. Cross attempts to the six-yard box, though, only 58 all year. That's tied for 17th. I felt like wow. our crosses were kind of pushed from distance. Like, I mean, how often did we really get to kind of the touchline and fire those unstoppable crosses, you know, back towards the penalty spot like Manchester City did? I mean, it didn't feel like a lot to me. Did it to you guys? No, not even close. The closest was probably like Gray or Gordon, and even then it was really inconsistent, especially for, for Gordon. Yeah, and even and if – a guy like Luca Dean who – yeah. excelled at doing things just like that and we don't need to re-litigate that whole situation but one of our players who actually could put in dangerous crosses uh disappeared for reasons that we're still trying to figure out but look i mean you could do this some from distance you have someone like dominic calvert luna maybe knock some staff down and be successful but ultimately that's the problem you know you're not going to off the counter get to the end line and be hitting those crosses in very often it just doesn't work that way i mean you need to keep the ball a little bit and be progressive um, key passes per 90, just over eight. That's 12th shot created actions per 90 12th. I mean, none of these things are great. Now, what I did find interesting is some of the dribble numbers were, were not that bad on Y scout versus, you know, FB ref. They were kind of different because they define them differently. Um, I felt like we had a couple guys like Damari Gray is pretty effective in the final third kind of dribbling and beating guys and getting shots off. Richie's okay with it. Um, but, you know, I, th I think that's variable in terms of creation. And, you know, if you don't have the ball a lot in the final third with time and space, it's not going to matter. But look at, I mean, look at goals created actions, I think are pretty interesting here. Per 90. Live passes, just over one, that's 14th. Dead ball passes, 13th. Now, let's talk about that for a second. I mean, we drew tons of fouls. You know what I mean? Like, we're sixth in terms of fouls drawn. Maybe we're seventh. It was a high number. So to be 13th in dead ball passes that created a goal is 13. Like that's bad. Um, dribbling, not high in terms of creating goals. 15th shots that led to goal 15th, which makes sense. Cause we never had sustained pressure anyway, zero defensive actions that led to a goal. Of course, that's a kind of a weird stat, but anyway, look, most of this to me, it looks as it's more of a volume issue, but man, that dead ball one sticks out a little bit. I mean, it's still, there's some lack of quality in creation because we did get to the ball occasionally. We had it in the final third, some it just didn't break through. So how do we solve that? Because when I look at the players, I mean, so let's start with crossing. The idea of playing the better players. I'm not seeing a lot here unless Patterson, I mean, Patterson's a decent crosser of the ball, but does he make that much of a difference? Maybe. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, Coleman's been at 45 and 42% respectively the last two years, which is obviously I mean, terrible. Well, well, right. no, I mean, it's good for him, though. That's kind of shocking. I mean, before he was always terrible, you know, like in the 30s and whatnot. So for really, him, that's, shockingly that, that's high good for him, for him. Well, it's shockingly high for him. But the thing is, he's not getting many of them. I think that's what's a byproduct of Alex. It's kind of like I'm not even going to bother anymore because I don't get it, get it up. I mean, if uh, you know, when you think of Seamus crossing, I mean, is he ever going to sit back and fire some perfectly shaped cross? No, this is never was Seamus Coleman. No, it's the Seamus Coleman getting the end line and firing low crosses. In. Um but no, I mean, he was typically more of like a half space player. And he was a threat to score goals, which he really doesn't do anymore. But you got like Mikalenko at 31%. Eh, you've seen him cross the ball. Is he a great crosser of the ball? No. No, he, he certainly okay. doesn't seem that way. Nah, nah. I mean, Patterson can get forward. If he can get in, in the space and, and put some pressure on people, great. But other than that, I mean, do we really want Alex Wilby flying around in wide spaces crossing the ball? No. No, we don't. We don't want like Richarlison. We don't even really want Damari Gray from live play trying to cross the ball too much unless he starts to get his head up a little bit more and Anthony Gordon, like guys like that. Um, we, we'll get into Anthony Gordon in a little bit, but we've said enough on the narrative of AG for this season, you know, throughout the, the post matches this, this year, he just hasn't created nearly enough to justify the amount of minutes he played. Well, let's talk about that goal created action, shot created actions. I mean, who's kind of high in that regard. I mean, that's always been a Wobie's bread and butter. I mean, he was, he was at 3.89 and 3.88 shot created actions per 90 his last two years at Arsenal, 
and like 0.64 and 0.55 goal created actions all from open play per 90. Like those are really high numbers, but he really didn't play that much. And when he did play, he wasn't getting in kind of the final third to do that stuff. So that's a natural play. If you put a Wobi at that position in Frank's four, three, three, I think that will help. Right. I think we agree with that. You guys realize Alon was around three at Napoli in terms of shot created actions per 90, like throughout his whole career. Like, would you have thought that? In some ways, it doesn't really surprise me because he's shown that box-to-box ability at Napoli. That was kind of his thing. He could get up and he could contribute. But the, to your point, Ryan, like based on the player he's been at Everton, yeah, you wouldn't expect him that to be really a strength of his. It's funny in this review, you realize that Alana's put up some ridiculous numbers in the past, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, it turns out he's actually a pretty decent player. <laughs> yeah, if you put him in the right role. What about Deli Ali? I mean, we remember him watching at Spurs. I think at one point he was over three. I think it's 3.77 I got him per 91 of the years at Spurs. Even last season, I mean, a couple times he got in the final third, he was at 2.66. I mean, he's the type of guy that if you put him in the final third, I mean, I think he can, he can, I mean, he may lose it sometimes, but I think he can be a dynamic player if you get him in the ball in the right spots. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I just look forward to hopefully seeing more of them, especially in like a more defined role and and getting minutes a little more consistently, because I think once he gets minutes more consistently, you may even see that figure rise. Yeah, because I think he's a good passer. He was fifth in assists at Spurs one year. He had 10 assists, 20 goal created actions one year. That was six. Yeah, I mean, and he's, he's not taking free kicks to put up those numbers. That's I mean, that goes to show you that's a guy that can be a difference maker in the final third. That's just the thing with Deli Ali, though, is. Do you do you do we ever see that player again for the rest of his career? And I don't know if it it has a little bit to do with the teams he's in and the setups he's in, but it also comes back to you know we we know that some of the criticisms that have been thrown his way from former coaches of his does he have does does Frank put his arm around his shoulder and really get do we get that Deli Ali when he first burst on the scene and was such a goal creating like a GCA machine basically. Yeah, and I, I think some of the challenges are, do we have people that can create from deeper? That, that's one. I think Alon can maybe play a ball over the top. I, I think that's something we lack. Um, you know what I mean? If I'm thinking about it, unless you play Deli Ali deeper, I mean, you see Decore. I mean, he's not going to He can throw a through ball at you every now and then, but really. Bameen used to have great passing range. I can't imagine. I mean, we'll see what his future is. Maybe Tom Davies a little bit, but I, I don't know if you trust him to kind of throw him in at this point. I, I just don't see Andre is good in transition, but he's never been like a super creative force from deep. So um, maybe that's an issue. Um, we're going to pick on Anthony Gordon here another another time. I, I hate to keep doing this. I feel like I'm kind of a jerk about it. But but the thing is, like, I, I think Anthony Gordon profiles better from the left side. I think he has a great shot. And I think eventually with his pace gets a little more a little more strength, a little more tricks to get that shot off. I think we're going to see some goals, but he is not the best passer and a creation guy. I mean, look at him. I think maybe if he comes off the bench a little bit more, he's running a tired legs. He gets a little more time and space for himself. We might see these numbers go up, but you can't argue with him, man. I mean, zero open play assists. I mean, so look for, for right for wide midfielders and wingers, um, players over a thousand minutes. I think there are 46 of them. So like in key passes per 90, he was 40 of 46. Pass accuracy in the final third, 35th, 41st in pass accuracy to the penalty area. So, you know what I mean? And, and Anthony Gordon's SCA per 90 from open play was fifth on the team. But when you're second on the team and touches in the final third. So like if you use number of touches in the final third as kind of your proxy for attempts and you look at it per open play, he's like 12th. That, that's that's not good. So we've got to figure out a way to get more production for the touches we get in the final third from our wingers and we just have to like that's something that's got to happen uh whether it's do schema or I, I whether it's volume i don't know so let's talk about in terms of schema like clearly we're talking about creation again tactics give frank a little bit more time you think he could do a little bit better design in terms of the final third to break some of these teams down don't i mean look one thing that we forget about is shuffling through manager after manager hurts and they're all different styles of play. I mean, that clearly has got to have an impact on your ability as a team to gel, even if devoid of tactics, right? Yeah, just continuity. Just we've we've struggled so long. Part of the thing that we we harp on with Everton is just consistency, and we have not had a manager stick around for much longer than eighteen months. It seems like the guys that come in. I mean, we've resorted to this very back to basics long ball at a desperation so many times but we've never seen a play a manager stick around long enough to really be able to implement their style of play maybe since roberto martinez honestly and i think that hurts the players when they are constantly be given given different messages 
and different styles of play and different coaching methodologies, that doesn't help at all with the creation numbers at all. Yeah, we, we were told that was supposed to be fixed by the director of football, right? Like that's that was the idea that, you know, although through managers, we would have recruitment based around a, a central concept of how we wanted to play our, our <clears throat> brand of football, right? But I digress a little bit, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He recommended a manager too in the summer to continue on with that kind of vein. In fact, he never appointed a manager, did he? Um, so yeah, uh, that's a huge deal, right? I mean, so even some of these players, you know, they've been bought in different styles of play for different reasons. It's hard to piece something together. Now look, option three, solution three recruitment. I think if we're talking about creation, we talked about kind of a deeper line playmaker type, you know, maybe Elon could play that role a little bit if he was in that eight position. I think there's a glaring gap in this team and it's been there forever and we've talked about it and that's right wing. Now, some people maybe think defensive mid's more important, center back, but we didn't score a lot of goals. And I cannot help but think that a more natural right winger, maybe one that can play off the left, tuck inside, create some space for someone like Patterson. Because if now you've got an attacking fullback that can get vertical, I mean, you need someone to play in the half space with that guy, right? I mean, I just, it would be nice to have someone with a left foot. Maybe someone that could serve a ball in a set piece too would be helpful. And I, I still think... I'd like to see Gordon off the left running at tired legs. I, I just think he could be a dynamic player as people get tired. And he's still very young and has, you know, could develop more. It might be a better role for him. What do you guys think? I mean, right wing has just been a, I mean, James played there and did okay, but even he wasn't really necessarily a natural right winger in terms of what I think we need in the premier league. No, I mean, it's literally not been since Balassi in 2018 when we had like six months of him and Rom linking up before he had his long-term in injury. And then we really never saw him again either. And before that, I think it was day Lefeu. Those are the only two names I can think of in like seven years or something ridiculous. Jerry was Aaron dangerous. Lennon. No, no, Lennon Jerry was there. Yeah. I mean, he was there. He played the position. I mean, Theo Walcott <laughs> he... played the position, but you're right. Jerry, Jerry was good. I mean, he gave you a goal scoring presence too out there. I mean, he was effective. He was anyway. He was just fun to watch, right? Which we've been devoid of, but you know, all of those things said, I mean, we're just literally crying out for a right, right-sided player where, you know, we seem to have an abundance on the left. Um, you know, I, I still, I personally still think Richie is best on the left. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. And the right wing thing is, I think we harped on it so much in the squad assessment last year. We just desperately need a, someone who's true to that position, left-footed right winger who can cut inside, going to be so important for us. Well, and that's the thing. Like, look, I'm not advocating a sale or a Charleston or anything, but if something like that happens with good recruitment, you still have the ability to kind of shape this team and you can do it under that manager. And I, I think Frank's style of play is one that's modern in a way that I think a club like Everton could aspire to. So even if, say, Frank doesn't work out, let's just say um, some of the players that you would recruit to play in this type of system with some of the requirements could be still effective in someone with a similar system. And I think that's the way Everton need to play. And I think Thelwell talks all the time about identity. I, it's very encouraging the way he speaks about things. So I think that's a positive, but yes, I just keep wanting to see that more, maybe a little more vertical player, that right wing that can cut inside and score goals. And there's some guys out there that maybe could make a difference. I don't think we quite have it. So it'd be very interesting to see how recruitment does and if they can address that. Um, so look, let's take a little break real quick before we get into the defensive stuff. Uh, to hear from our sponsors, and uh, we'll be back to you in a couple minutes. All right, we are back, and we are talking defense. Defense, one of the areas Everton, uh, well, the numbers still aren't very good, and I think we saw a lot of very poor goals conceded based on a lot of individual errors. We had a handful of own goals as well. Um, you start with just the high-level numbers, right? We conceded 66 goals, good for 16th in the Premier League. Expected goals against of 54.5, which is 11th. So pretty big discrepancy there, right? Almost 12 goals conceded above our XGA. Um, I think the post-shot XG numbers are also really interesting, Ryan. If you could give us just a quick breakdown of how... People are, I think at this point, pretty familiar with XG. Post-shot XG is an even slightly more advanced number that I think gives you a truer reflection of how good opportunities actually are to score. Yeah, it's not perfect. And I think this is one where we had a really good conversation. I think with Chicago Joe and some others, Chicago Joe's pretty analytical guy. So he was kind of digging into how these differences could be so big. And so when you hear me say the numbers, you, you know, you can kind of think about it for yourself, but so look, let's start with goals against for 66 expected goals against a 54. 
0.5. So that's, that's a pretty big gap, right? So the first foray from that is number one, the difference, five own goals. We're the highest in the league. No one gave up more than five own goals. So that kind of gets you to 66 to about 61, right? So what's amazing though, to get all the way down to 54.5. So if the post shot expected goal number was 59.6, okay. That's measuring the quality of the shot after it's been taken. Like the quality of the shot, what are the chances of that shot going in after it's been taken by the results of the shot? And now you're not doing that of anything that's not a shot on goal too. So that's important to note. But if you look at it, like that's kind of crazy. Like your expected goals, goals against was 54, but the shots were so good that your post shot expected goal rose to 59.6. I mean, that's a massive difference. That's, you know, 59.6. That's the difference of what? 5.2 goals based on just quality of shots. I mean, 5.1 difference, pardon me like that. So first of all, that difference is the third highest in the premier league. Now, in theory, if you took that on face value, you'd say Everton faced some really good shots. So last year we were kind of the second best beneficiary at plus 3.5. So wait, are we suggesting that is literally a nine goal swing just due to quality of shots and luck from year to year? That seems a little unrealistic. Don't you guys think, or is that yeah, possible? Seems- I mean, I, I don't know. I think it's an interesting question. I'll never, I'll never discount the value of, of luck, but it does feel like nine goals just due to that. Maybe there's a little more to the story. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I think it's a, an issue, probably a combination of issue with the model itself. Um, but I think, or maybe we just realized that, you know, maybe there's more luck involved than, than we think. Um, but look, I mean, really breaking it down any farther than that, you know, you kind of get to the point where it gets a little ridiculous, but look, I mean, we gave up 36 goals from open play. That was 14. Um, 19 goals from set pieces, guys. Wow. That's brutal. Last in the league. Only two penalties, though, hey? Um, we talked about the own goals. That's also last. That's embarrassing. Goals against from headshots, 14 second to last. Not as many from outside the area in the past, though, and that's something that's criticized Pickford of. So only seven. That's ninth. So, okay. Some of those numbers are kind of curious. Pretty bad. The set piece stuff is pretty bad. So I think the first area to really break down, though, is goalkeeping. Look, there's a lot of metrics on this one, and some of these are controversial. Some of these aren't. But so look, in context, our goalkeepers faced a lot of shots. This just did. Shots on target per 90, almost five. That's 18th in the league. So that ain't good. Um, And look, post shot expected goals against per 90 is 1.57. That's 15th. So that's a lot too. So look, shots against in total, almost 12. That's 13th. Shots on target percentage against. 17th. I don't think that one matters as much. It's more just the, you know, the quality of shots you're given. I mean, that's what really matters. Cause like man city's like 18th save percentage. 65.2% is 16th. That's not good. Um, and post shot expected goal differential, meaning as how well you did in terms of saving against the quality of the shots you faced was negative 1.4. That's 11th. Um, and Pickford was a little better than that. Actually, he finished the year pretty well, but look impact of goalkeeping here. Do you guys remember a lot of glaring errors from goalkeeper? I mean, I, I don't think, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think goalkeeping was necessarily a massive component of our defensive issues this year. Do you guys think? No, I mean, I would probably rate Pickford higher than I think every other, every defender, you know, throughout the season, to be honest, as, as a general player on the pitch, um, there weren't very many glaring issues. And to be honest, he came in clutch, quite a few times. And that's been the biggest criticism of him is those moments of, of, I don't know, lack of concentration or whatever you want to attribute it to. But those, those mistakes when then he would turn around one match and make several unbelievable saves and then couple it with letting, you know, not literally, but letting the ball go through his legs, conceding an easy goal. And I think we saw him refine his technique a little bit. And there's no question, especially down the stretch when we needed him most, he came up with some incredibly important saves. I think that's encouraging too. I mean, look, the bottom line is if you're facing almost five shots on target against per 90, I mean, is the issue really in the goalkeeping? Right. I mean, getting peppered. Yeah. Stop giving good shots up. I mean, that's the bigger issue. Uh, Probably the better issue. Now, that being said, he's the fifth highest goalkeeper in the league, I think by wage, according to spot track. So, you know, if you're not getting top five production at that sort of wage, I don't know if someone would come in for him, but it's not a crazy idea to move him. I'm just saying if you got an offer. So it's not insane to suggest he might not be worth quite the wages. 
but I think it's encouraging how well he played down the stretch. And look, he did save our tail several times in that Leicester match, the Chelsea match, and deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, okay. The defensive issues then, if it doesn't look like it's so much goalkeeping, I mean, is it really a stylistic type thing? So I kind of like some of these numbers that talk. We talked about PPDA, what that means, pass per defensive actions. It's got a fouls, interceptions, one duel, sliding tackles. It's calculated inside the final 60% of the field, the attacking zone. We were 18th, meaning as we did not pressure high um, and not effectively. Challenge intensity, duels, tackles, interceptions per minute of opponent's possession, meaning as how aggressive we were when they had the ball, 15. Yeah, and look, we had a lot of pressures. We talked about that, but most of those pressures were you know, in the middle third, in the defensive third. So, so look, and I, I just don't like, I went through all the numbers guys and I don't see any relationship between like when we pressured more often, we did well or not. I don't really see anything. Um, but here's some interesting numbers. So if you were to sit back and remember how last year's were, were I felt like teams passed us to death and we could not do anything about it. I mean, did you guys kind of get that? I felt that way often when we played, like they were just playing with us. And I think these numbers definitely say that that was the case. Yeah. I mean, it, it so often felt like we were basically helpless in possession and we made, you know, it's, it's the cliche, but we make team, you know, Norwich, whether it's Brentford, whoever, we make them look like prime Barcelona. Like people you hear that a handful of times per season. And I think some of these numbers drive that home. Um, I mean, passing against 81.9% 18th, we were, just letting teams pass it with incredibly high accuracy, not a good number. Um, some of the other numbers, total completed passes against dead last, letting teams just, you know, I, I think it might've been the Man City game or one of the other matches. Basically every, their back line and midfield each had a hundred touches a piece and none of our players had more than like 20 or 30 touches. Situations like that just illustrate how inept we were at putting opponents off their game in possession. I mean, short passes against wasn't great, but oh my God, medium passes against 88.6%. It's 20th with last, last and long pass percentage against 63.9% completion rate on long wow. passes against us. I mean, we faced a lot of long passes too, you know, but I mean, most medium passes by a mile because teams would just pass us to death because we can see the possession so much. Yeah, we didn't face that many switches. I mean, guys, teams like they just kind of passed right down the pipe with no problem whatsoever. Uh, faces a lot of crosses in the penalty area. We we're 16th against that and a lot of progressive passes against too. So it's just, I don't know. You know what's really crazy about this too when you look at the numbers? We had only 15.8 interceptions per 90. That was sixth, right? And you think, oh, well, that's a lot. But we faced the most passes per 90, almost 600 passes against and the most long and medium passes. And we block the most passes, but how can you be six in interceptions when you're getting that much stuff that you should eat up? I mean, this is pretty massive, right? And we were just too darn easy to pass around. Right? I mean, and it just, it seems very off. So, so here's part of the issue here is solution one, play the better players. Well, they're all injured. <laughs> I mean, you know, what are you going to do here? If you look at the back line of mean is not playing there. I mean, you, you don't have the ability to play up and kind of condense that that defensive zone. So it just makes it really, really hard. You know, DeCorey was hurt a little bit. He played, but other than him, I mean, who would you say is really going to roam around and take the ball from the other team or get, I mean, it's just not something we're real good on it. So I would say this solution two, tactics. That's kind of a more realistic, interesting thing, right? I mean, Frank has shown some ability to press higher and be successful in the past with some of his other teams. So is that something that you would think of? We saw a little bit of that earlier with Frank, but it didn't necessarily work all that well, did it? No, it didn't at all. I mean, we were, <clears throat> it, it just goes back to the, the seven, the seven games in which we tried the most short passes and we lost all but one of them, which we drew that one. So it, uh, it was very, very clear. It wasn't going to work for us. Um, you know, we were also making a bunch of individual mistakes, which was, you know, the story of the season. But either way, I mean, I think we all probably look forward to trying to see that at least transition um, into this upcoming season. That's for sure. What's a little scary to me, though, is you look at kind of some of the stuff he did. He made that big tactical changes in Derby. I mean, Derby was like third in PPDA, fifth in challenge intensity, right? I mean, that was a big change. The year before, they were 23rd and third in those two categories, respectively. I mean, that, that's like the change in PPDA, 23rd to third is insane if you think that's about crazy it. yeah i mean so that's hard to take a team like that and make that kind of change and challenge intensity went from 20th where they just were passive letting teams pass you to fifth i mean 
46% possession, you know, to, to higher 54. So like Frank can make a big change, that type of switch. He showed he could at Darby. The only thing I'll say about it that still concerns me was that in Darby expected goals against was 16th still now goals against was seventh. Now Chelsea actually did really well, but he still gave up 54 goals. You know, what's ridiculous about that, by the way, they gave up 54 goals, which was 12th in the league. His expected goals against was fourth. That's how bad Keppa was that year. That was that Keppa year. He was, yeah, yeah. His post-shot expected goals versus goals he conceded, negative 9.6. And Pickford had a terrible year that year, but Keppa made him look like a genius. Negative 9.6. So in theory, if you look at the stat, the goalie's performance based on the average player, he cost the team 10 goals. So that's not really on Frank. So anyway, some of this is encouraging, but I don't know if necessarily Frank is the best necessarily at organized defense, but I think we will see a different style of play recruitment though. Again, we talked about defensive mid, but I mean, you know, I I don't think we're telling anything else that we, we didn't already know. I mean, the injuries would probably make the biggest difference here whatsoever. Um, But yeah, I mean, I don't see any relationships here to like tackle rate or block shots or anything like that. I mean, we blocked a lot of shots. We won more, which is kind of weird. Like, we blocked more than 22 shots. We won four and drew two and lost one. I don't, I don't think there's any relate. I mean, what are you going to do? Set up your team to block more shots? I mean, no, that's ridiculous. Yeah, just put, they were just more letting guys on the goal line. That's They're the more... spirit meter right there. Oh, block God. <laughs> did we get through the first episode without even mentioning spirit? We, we did. You know what? I feel terrible hours. about it. Yes. I, I'm so proud of you guys. Thank you. Uh, but you did bring up assist, James. So the heck with you. Um, okay. Okay. I'll take that. All right. Set pieces. I mean, we're not going to beat this one two in the ground, but it wasn't very good. All right. We, you know, we had the most throw-ins again, 22.5 per 90, you know, think maybe that's a random one that uh, you wouldn't really expect. Yeah, I I know. Um, so corners against, I mean, I think that's against corners against, we had almost six corners against that's 15th. Um, actually not that many passes from free kicks, which is weird because we didn't commit that many fouls. That's true. Um, number of aerial duels. Almost 40 per 90, 17th. So comparatively speaking, like Man City sees like 25, they led the league. That's a big difference. It's like 15. So, but that's a lot of that style of play driven in possession. I mean, that's what possession you do. So look, we had the lowest win rate, um, according to FB ref on aerial duels in the league at 45.1%. That's not good. Now I think Y scout had a slightly better and had a 16th. The point is if you're possessing the ball more, And if the difference between like the amount of aerial duels we gave up, which is about 40 versus Man City's 25, we're not going to close the gap of 15, but you just apply the percentage on that thing. You know what I mean? That makes a big difference. You know, so keeping the ball a little bit can help take some of the pressure off your defense. I think that's what it says. Look, a healthy Mina makes all the difference in the world, right? Because we were one of the best heading teams in the league last year. Um, Tarkowski is not the tallest guy, but if we bring in a guy like that, he is pretty good in the air. Uh, maybe that's a bit the tactics of Burnley. I don't know, but like he's someone that can throw himself into the ball and he's strong. So, um, but look, I mean, set pieces, how can you ignore the fact that Carlo was so successful defending them and we were not this past year? I mean, a lot of this is tactical, right? It's gotta be, we need David back. I think I've, I've, I've seen some, uh, I've, I've seen some things online. We've, we've got a movement started. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, a lot of people are crying out for David back. But yeah, you don't just go from one of the best defensive aerial teams in the league to one of the worst without some dramatic changes. And we know we got we rehashed the zonal marking debate earlier on in the season and all these different things. But to me, it's it's almost as simple as Yerry Mina and even Dominic Calvert-Lewin defending set pieces like those guys in the air are pretty important. Yeah, it is. And I mean, Paul Clement, I think, took over the set piece defending duties and you could tell how irate he was at times on the sidelines about it. He just couldn't get over it. Uh, Maybe Anthony Barry makes his way over to Everton this year. You know, and that that was the big thing. I think some people said that he's pretty good on it, but we'll see. I mean, something has to change in that department. I I think that's tactically based, really, you know. Um, So, look, I mean, there are a whole lot of other things, too. I think we have recoveries. We're like sixth, But, I mean, of course, we didn't have the ball that much. You know what I mean? Tackles one per 90, we were first. Well, great, because we attempted the second most amount because we didn't have the ball. So, look, that's all that stuff is. But, look, I mean, the summary. So, look, we've let's take a step back now. Talked about defense. We talked about attack. So, I think it's pretty obvious the areas that were really so glaring beyond anything is really the ability to keep the ball pass the ball under pressure, deal with pressure. And yes, some of the progression and the creation are important, but look, 
I think we do that very well. I think it's going to solve a lot of the defensive issues, at least in my, my personal opinion. I don't think we're so deficient defensively as a team. Uh, I think Rafa's structure was the biggest issue with defending, in my personal opinion. Um, it would be nice to be able to find like kind of a defensive mid that's a little more conservative that could kind of maybe shield the center backs. Maybe Bameen is that guy. I don't know. But you know what I mean? I mean, I just don't see the defensive aspect of it as being so critical. I really think most of it falls on kind of like that ability to keep the ball a little bit better. I think some of the structural changes, even Frank, who's maybe not known as a defensive coach, I think will improve those things. I don't know. What are your guys take? I mean, because when I look at all this assessment, we've been doing two parts of this now, right? I think the glaring issues is the retention, um, the possession, and just the passing, the ability to keep it. That's me. I don't know. What do you guys think? I, I'm I'm dying to, to hear what you say about that, and then we'll get into the solutions. It, it really, you could distill it and say it's as simple as the opposition can't score when you have the ball. So we've talked in the past, and plenty of others have talked about, you know, possession as a form of defense, essentially. And I think that that is a key here, because if we're giving up the ball 70% of the time, even the worst Premier League team is going to be able to create opportunities out of that. So if we can put together a team that can retain the ball, can move the ball forward, can make defensive defenses have to shift their shape, get out of position, it will help both our offensive creation. We'll get the ball forward and we'll get be able to penetrate the defensive shape of the opposition more. And opposition will have less opportunities to pepper Jordan Pickford five times a game with shots on target. Like, I don't think that's uh, too complicated of a concept to grasp here. Does that play at Goodison? I think winning games plays at Goodison. And I think, you know, it doesn't have to be, again, this like level of tiki-taka. Yeah, yeah, right. 75% possession. But like, did did people really enjoy the the football that we played other than the couple decent results that we got for the most part it was really painful and like it worked at the very beginning when we were getting results and we were flying high near the top of the league that felt the bottom fell out of that very very quickly and then we were playing terrible football getting terrible results so i think if you see and i don't expect us to boss the ball don't expect us to have 60 percent possession out of the gap frank showed a derby that he can uh implement a radical change in style year over year but i don't know if that's really I don't think like shock and awe dramatic changes is necessarily the way he's going to be thinking about this going forward unless we just make a complete like we sign like, you know, five or six new players and all of a sudden he has the tools he needs to implement his ideal style of play. I think we'll still see shade of that pragmatism, but making progressive steps to being a more ball dominant team and looking to create opportunities. Well, it's context, too. You know, I mean, sometimes you need to kill the game and take the air out of it. The best way to do that is keep the ball a little bit. Yeah, I, I just I was kind of refining asking the question, like, what are you really saying by that? Because, yeah, your point is this is not we're not going to be like Tiki Taka stuff here. You know, right. I still would think when we get to Goodison, Frank's going to want to get us on the front hook, front foot. But look, you still have to make good decisions with the ball. Right. I mean, that, that's that's what this is about. I mean, you know, it's it, we talked about the importance of getting the ball into the final third just as often. And, and, you know, sometimes it takes a little bit of possession to get yourself in the right position to be aggressive in that way. And certainly when you got the lead, man, keep the ball. I mean, it's so infuriating me at times that against lesser teams, truly lesser teams, that you can't deal with a little bit of pressure and pass it around a little bit. And I felt like we've just not been capable of doing that. Part of that's tactics, but part of that's the player. I don't know, Alex. I mean, what do you thought? We've been you've been sitting here listening to us yap all the time about all this numbers and well, nonsense you know, I, I, had a, I had a cheeky comment loaded up when when you asked you know did it play at goodison and I, I was really gonna place the question whether or not we were really that fun to watch under carlo um but i Ooh, you know, i like it you know I've, I've obviously we had some we had some wonderful hamas moments but uh nonetheless yeah i mean i think i think the only way forward a is like just far more possession than we've had. I think it's a disgrace, you know, to see Everton on some of these matches. I think one match this season, we had like 17% possession. Another one, I think maybe against the guys against, you know, across the park, it was 22%. I, I think overall, that's just garbage. I think part of that was due to just, we didn't have, you know, key players uh, at key times during the season. We weren't able to maximize a lot of our players' potential um, by shoe, shoehorning them into roles based on necessity. Uh, you know, we had certain players that shouldn't have gotten their time at all, like, or, you know, anywhere near the amount of time they got, like Gordon, as we've, as I've probably said, like four times just this episode. Uh, I guess I'll just keep leaning on that one. Um, 
but next season, seriously though, I think, uh, I, I'm excited. I hope that he, you know, I, I do kind of hope he does mirror it the same way he's done it. Maybe Darby and Chelsea, except, uh, I, I do agree with James. Like it's going to take a bit of time. Um, and, and a lot of, a lot of good moves and a lot of good luck in the transfer market, um, through recruitment to get there. So, but look, I mean, solution one, play the better players. I mean, this team looks a lot different. I mean, I think Frank had to have learned quite a bit about this team. And it's hard to, I mean, I really think like, say, say you look back now, say, say he wants to play that four, three, three, when, when we can get on the front foot, because not always we're going to be able to do that. I'm okay. Sitting back against some of these teams. That's fine. You know, being pragmatic against Liverpool, for example, I think takes a lot of away from them that they would like to have, you know? Um, and I had no problem with the way we set up against them. Not in some of the other matches though, Alex, no question. Um, like a Wobi and Deli Ali playing kind of that 10 role, you know, in the left half space. I mean, that. That's better than what we had this year, for sure. Um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin back at center forward makes a massive difference, I think, on this team if he continues and stays. If it's not Mina, someone being back there is capable of getting on the ball and being confident on it and keep it. Um, Mikalenko, I think, will be good this year. I think we saw a lot of good signs from him at the end of the year, and I like. I think he's a smart player and a good decision maker. Um, and look, so I, I think those guys make a big difference, but tactics... I mean, seems to me you pointed out change in style from year to year. I mean, Frank's already had some time of working with these guys. I think one thing that's really advantageous here, too, is Frank's going to be able to inform the way this normally works is the manager is going to inform basically the needs of the team to the recruitment guys. The recruitment guys will try and meet them. They may not meet and get people that are exact for the manager, but will try and fill those roles with different people. Frank's had an opportunity too to evaluate some of these players that he's, you know, that he can make a decision whether we need to keep them or not. I think that's valuable because we haven't seen many offloaded players. I would expect to look, we, a lot of guys are out of contract and they're gone and that's fine. But it seems to me, Frank needs to maybe be a little bit ruthless in terms of who he pushes out, but he's had the opportunity to work with some of these guys now and should be pretty well informed whether they can fit into, you know, he talked a lot about he has plans or ambitions of how he wants us to play. Well, surely working with these guys these last couple of months, he has a pretty good idea if this person could ever get to the point where he could play in a role in his scheme. I mean, that that's a big advantage and help of this off season. I think, no, I think that's exactly right. And I think the outgoings have always been the struggle for us over the last few years, right? We've known the deadwood, the dead weight here. We need to get rid of half our squad and bring new guys in. And I think, you know, we've had some key guys leave at the end of their contracts that helps do a lot in terms of wage relief. Um, but there's going to have to be some outgoing sales. So you have to be strategic about, who you offload, where can you generate the most revenue, and just figuring out ways to reinvest in the squad. I'm sure Frank has plenty of uh, conversations with Thelwell since their offices, as we all know, are right across the hall from one another, so they can be having these conversations every day. And as you said, Ryan, he should be well-informed, and Thelwell should be well-informed. Hopefully they're very much on the same page about the needs of the squad, what players can fill certain roles, and I'm imagine, I'm just imagining like the, the classic like depth chart up on a whiteboard of somewhere and they're no, just no, I mean, the names and that's that's the standard practice right yeah so we've we've highlighted the positions and i think that brings us to the last very last section which is the recruitment we hit at hit on it at the end of the first part there's the kind of the four key positions it's the right side it's right back and right wing it's the defensive midfielder it's the center half really that's four guys at a minimum that you would expect to bring in and it would dramatically reshape the ability of the everton first team you know the first 11 with some depth guys, you move guys like Gordon, who have been basically nailed on starters into more of a support role, offers a, a totally different level of depth to what we saw last season, where we're really scraping the bottom of the barrel at a lot of positions where you can't even, you don't even have a, a, a quote unquote like for like sub because you've got to shoehorn guys into positions they're really not fit to play. Yeah, Seamus yeah, Coleman and yeah. limited roles can do better too, that type of thing. Yeah, it's, it's also important to note that those are the four positions assuming no outgoings. So as bad as it is to hear, right? Like, you know, we're throwing around names like Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison, right? So striker could very much be like right at the forefront of a need, you know, in let's say a month's time, for example. And then you have such a shuffle of essentially how how are you going to get all these pieces and how is the timing going to work and how much money is it, and et cetera. So lots and other of pro moving parts. Yeah, and different profiles, right? I mean, Alex, I mean, yep. you can mention some of these guys that I think are good football players that maybe aren't what Frank envisions seeing there. And and maybe that can't happen in this off season, but maybe down the road it could. So you just never know, really. It's just a matter of who comes in for players 
um, what sort of offers they make. And, and if Frank knows that this person's maybe not perfect and knows the market will bear some other guys, maybe we'll see another center mid. <clears throat> That's not just a defensive mid. Maybe, maybe we'll see, like you said, Alex, maybe we need to see another center forward. Maybe we have it, to, it, you know, I, 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 you know, you just, you just never know. I mean, it really does the outs matter almost just as much now. And I think there's some chance that we probably have to have a sale or two before June 30th. I mean, I think maybe there's still financial fair play issues. That's the end of the fiscal year next year. I think it's a different, different situation. And then not to mention, we've got this kind of overhanging thread of a, a takeover, you know, a buyout or a buy over, uh, right. which has to affect things. And Kevin's still, Kevin Thilwell's still building up his staff. So there's a lot of things at work here. It's going to be a very, very busy off season. I still don't think we'll expect to see a major buy or anything before the next fiscal year, but I'm still be a little surprised. We didn't see some outs coming on in the next um, week or so. I'm trying to think when we're going to release this episode, right? <laughs> It'll be coming soon. I mean, I think the one thing, one thing that, that comes to mind for me that we haven't even really talked about is just, I think in terms of Frank implementing this transition and style of play and reshaping the squad and his image and all that stuff, we are in a position now, I think going into almost every season, maybe not the last season, but before that, the expectation, I think at least amongst the fan base was we're on a track to push for Europe and we want to see progression towards that goal. And while I still think that's the case, progression to Europe from, you know, 12th, 10th, 8th is very different than let's start a progression to Europe from finishing 16th. So I think if you saw some really positive changes in personnel, you saw some positive moves. And even if that results in Everton finishing in just the top half, I think the fan base would be more than content with that. I'd imagine, you know, we're not going to overcommit and try to spend beyond our means to like push for it this season. Obviously we're more intelligent than that. We've got the right people in place to be smarter than that. But I think the fan base certainly after the horror of the last season would be perfectly content with a season with a transition, improvements in certain areas, and just basically being comfortable in our league position in the table. I don't know what either of you think about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I literally I'll, I don't care what happens next season as long as A, we're not like, well, near 16th, but B, as long as we just see a, a clear idea of of what shape, what what sort of tactics, what brand of football we're going for, and we see 11 players in the pitch on a consistent basis that at least look like they know what their job is supposed to be in this system. That's all I want. Um, I think I think the rest kind of falls from there. I think we can build a lot of like positive energy off of simply just seeing and knowing that we're working towards something concrete. And and like you said, we just need a couple key pieces. And and I think we're right right there where we could achieve something like that at least. I think you're right. It does give Frank some opportunity and a little bit of play, a little bit of leeway to really kind of maybe be more idealistic or than pragmatic. And you can maybe risk that a little bit. So look. Um, this has been two long episodes. Um, I really appreciate your guys' time and dealing with all the numbers at times. Sometimes I could be a little much of it. Um, but look, I, I think, look, at the end, I think what's important is to, as we get on, you know, we're in silly season now. going to be all sorts of silly transfer rumors. You've already seen them. Um, I think if it's not one of these positions, you know, defensive mid, center back, right wing, maybe right back or at least right side in some way, um, maybe I could see like a deeper line playmaker maybe we need to look at kind of some backup or some support on the left side. But the bottom line is if it's not a player that looks like they're good, at least keeping the ball or can give us some sort of progression or just some passing ability whatsoever, we should be slightly concerned. So I think those are the types of players we are really looking for. And that's what Frank's going to need to really try and implement this style or start to progress towards really putting it into the fabric of the club. Um, so look, We'll see how it plays out, but hopefully we at least have given the listeners enough stuff to think about and uh, really kind of take that approach at how to make the team better. And and maybe, you know, as we go forward, definitely need to have a space after this one. We can start throwing out names and whether they make sense. Um, I know we'll be using this going forward, kind of like we did last year to say, eh, I don't know if this person fits in with Frank or whatnot. Um, it's nice that Frank seems fairly adaptable in terms of roles. But look, I mean, I still think, and I agree with you guys, if we can improve some of those areas and get some people in with some different profiles, I think it could have a dramatic impact on this team. And I really think even in just a couple of those positions, I'm not saying we're winning the league or anything silly like that, but I think it'll make it certainly a lot more enjoyable. And look, let's be honest, this year cannot be, uh, it's got to be more enjoyable than this past one. <laughs> it would be Everton that to just 
you know, the bottom falls out and things only get worse. But I, I think for the most part, everyone feels very optimistic. And as Ryan said, you know, we're going to use this episode and the previous one as sort of our framework to inform a lot of our coming content over the summer transfer window. We'll be trying to do a lot of spaces to get your thoughts on various rumors. We haven't even touched on the potential takeover buyout situation. There's so much to talk about, so much happening. We've got Everton coming overseas. It's going to be a very exciting summer. We look forward to covering all of it with you. Before we wrap, just want to throw it out. Alex, you have any final words on the summer window for Everton? No, I just, as you said, I'm looking forward to doing quite a few spaces on um, potential and hopefully some concrete uh, incomings and maybe some outgoings soon. And uh, obviously maybe doing uh, some sort of update episode as well on, let's say, a buyout. So, and obviously see everyone in Baltimore next month. Yes. And you will definitely hear from us before then, but we appreciate you listening to this gargantuan couple episodes. Hopefully you enjoyed it. If you did, if you didn't give us your feedback, we really appreciate it. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at USA Toffee pod. All of the links will be in the description or at linktr.ee slash USA Toffee pod. Or the easiest way to get in touch with us is to join our discord, join our community. It's a really great one. A lot of good dialogue happening pretty much 24 seven across numerous time zones. I think we have basically the entire globe covered at this point. So it's awesome. If you're not a part of it, we strongly encourage you to join invite.gg slash ATP, which again, will also be in the description. Thanks very much, everyone. And until next time, and as always, up the toffees.